Welcome in. It's the Retirement Plan Playbook. We're back in the studio. We're bringing a very important topic, I think, today as we're going to talk about some of the strategies of moving to a new state. It's a topic that a lot of people have questions on right now, and we're going to stick to the financial side of it, though, and and discuss, is it even possible for some people, and, and how would you do it? I'm your host, Brent Pasqua, founder of RPA Wealth Management. I'm here with Matthew Thiel, certified financial planner, Joshua Winterswike, certified financial planner. Uh, before we jump into it, though, have you guys been watching the Olympics? I've put it on, but I've had a massive um, headache trying to figure out if they're live or not. That kind of has been bugging me, and then they jump around. It's been pretty an awful experience for me. You can't look at the little, you know, in the little top right <laughs> corner where it says live, or there's no live <laughs> button up there. Well, I, I know that now, but mm-hmm. I didn't for like a week and a half. I'm mixed on that. I, I know they're struggling because of the time difference, but I would agree there's not like this tv guide going back to the old days of a tv guide but like telling you what's on at what time what's live and what whatnot but uh i've been watching it too have enjoyed like the my favorite events that i normally watch um but uh the time difference is is tough because you know some of the events that i wanted to see aren't live when i'm watching them yeah the replays and i even tried to figure out online like how to know what's going to be coming up and how to watch ahead and it's just everything on the websites looks super confusing like i couldn't figure it out in five or ten minutes i was just done with it yeah no totally let's get into the hot take headlines sticking with that topic uh, nbc's summer olympics ratings are really in a free fall tv audience for the summer olympics is down a whopping 45 percent from the rio games in 2016 and viewership in primetime is even worse down 51 percent that being said nbc reported that's peacock services seeing strong viewership According to them, viewers had streamed 3 billion minutes of Olympic coverage across NBCOlympics.com. The NBC Sports app and its Peacock streaming services. Moreover, NBC said that a number is pacing to surpass Rio Olympics. Total in the next few days. I mean, what are you thinking? I'm happy that half of America is agreeing with how I'm feeling and that this Olympics has been awful and they're not tuning in. I think it's really interesting, though, because what NBC is doing and, and what they did with the most popular sports is they didn't put them on TV. The most popular Olympic sport is the gymnastics, right? And for some reason, the g- gymnastics was starting in the wee hours of the morning. It was starting at like 2, 3, 4 a.m. on the West Coast. And it was never on TV. You could stay up that late, but you wouldn't watch it. You had to go to the Peacock service to watch it. So they basically paywalled the most popular event. And that's what I didn't understand. I understand like it's more than just us USA watching it. But it was weird that we got to watch swimming live, and that was like probably the best part of the Olympics. But then gymnastics, we couldn't watch. And then now you have social media, you already knew what happened. Well, even uh, USA Basketball, which is really popular here in the States, viewers-wise, was on the NBC streaming service. And we talk, Matt and I talked about this. Like, I, I get that they're trying to promote their streaming service, but... Like, this is the world's games. Like, why aren't the most popular events on national TV for us to see here in the United States? And that kind of turned me off, too. Like, you know, you're watching your normal Channel 4 TV, and now I have to purchase Peacock to to view my favorite event. Look at what's happening. Viewership's down. A lot of people don't want to do that. I've even noticed that I didn't want to do that. So I'm sure, you know, a lot of Americans didn't either. Yeah, the whole streaming app thing is quite weird. I don't know why NBC thinks they're Netflix or Disney. Um, They're not. They're NBC. We all know them as Channel 4. And they should be putting all of their good content on Channel 4. And they should be selling their popular shows like Friends and The Office. Uh, Do they have Friends? They might not. 
they should be selling the office and parks and rec to netflix and other streaming services for them to put on it because they're not a streaming service do uh, viewership in other countries have to stream the same way or is there the way that they bring it to their audience completely different so i know like different let's just use the uk as an example like sky sports has the olympics so it's not even like nbc in the uk that has that right so they have their own actual network of sky sports that's broadcasting it and from what i've heard just through a few friends that yeah either have lived in the uk or live in the uk said that you know they're primary focus is just on like great britain and like that's all of their coverage because that's what the people want to see so it is a little bit different than here you know they're really just broadcasting the events that their athletes are in so kind of a different coverage but they said they you can see it it's not a streaming service from what i understand how much luster's lost to you to not watch things live when you can find out on twitter what's already happened and then who wants to go back and rewatch it all the luster's lost they completely ruined the, the Olympics this year, in my opinion. Is part of it because of social media? Because this isn't the first time we've had a big time difference with the Olympics either. It's because they didn't show the things that we wanted to watch in prime time. Sure. Okay. That's uh, fair. Like, I'm fine. Like, my wife wanted to watch the gymnastics. I, you know, I have fun. I think everyone has fun watching the USA gymnastics team. Right. Um, they never put that on in prime time. We knew the results when we woke up, when our alarms went off at 5.30 or 6 a.m. We knew the results, and then it was never televised again. So, I mean, that's on them. The only thing I watched the entire time was swim, and I thought swimming was outstanding. Yeah, Katie Ledecky, she's great. Yeah, I mean, yes. but it was the only live thing, really, that they had streaming, except a little track here and there. Yeah, swimming was good. I also watched uh, the final round of the golf tournament that was on live at night, but I think that was also on Peacock. I, I watched that, too. That, that was cool. All right, let's get into the next one. U.S. sets electric vehicle sales goal of 50% by 2030. So that's, that's what they're establishing as the goal. President Biden signed an executive order setting a target for electric vehicles. Hydrogen fuel cell and plug-in hybrid vehicles to make up 50% of U.S. sales by 2030. Is something like this possible? Most likely not. It's interesting. They had all the automakers up there you know, as he was signing this, and they said it's not possible unless there's government funding or incentives for people to buy these cars. Look, I'm a, I'm a plug-in hybrid driver. I like it. I, I think that's the best electric slash gas way to get the majority of people um, away from gas only. It's a really great car. Um, I run out of gas, my electricity kicks in. I run out of electricity, my gas kicks in. I've done both multiple times. But I mean, when you think about how much these cars actually cost, right? Because, you know, getting a, an electric car is about four to five grand more than getting just a gas one. Like how, what's the incentive for consumers? I think that, is it possible to answer your question? Like, it's a, that's a tall task, but I think that it can lead to some good innovation, right? Getting these automakers together for like this emissions goal and, you know, pushing for electric cars. I also drive a hybrid, which I, which I love. So even more innovation or making these more efficient just from that take is a positive in my eyes, right? Pushing these automakers to continue to invest in, you know, more efficient vehicles and that are better for our environment. Because it seems like you're not going to have to have a Tesla to have these features anymore, right? It seems like mostly all automakers are making a car that could be dual, right? So you don't have to have 100% gas, you don't have to have 100% electric, but you could be somewhere in the middle and that's probably gonna be very helpful, I would think. Yeah, I think that's the best answer and I wish that the, you know, the government would push more and 
I mean, I the one of the major reasons why I bought my car was they had really great tax credits. And I know we talked about this on a previous podcast, a tax credit is one of the most powerful tax reduction strategies you could use. And, and so that's why I bought my electric cars. I wanted that big tax credit. And hopefully those continue. Even in the article they had mentioned, or the automakers mentioned that this administration said that even more tax incentive was going to be part of this kind of goal or deal. So hopefully we continue to see that, you know, and, and give some initiative for this big change. Yeah, I don't know if you guys have noticed, uh, like gas is super expensive right now. It seems very expensive to fill up your car. Yeah, it's it's very expensive. I keep seeing all the, um, you know, $80, $90 left on the tank when you pull up. And yes. then I, I um, fill up my Prius and it's uh, $35 and I laugh. Yeah, it's smart. Smart. It's a good way to save money. All right, let's get in the retirement planning corner. One question that we're constantly being asked is what is the best state for a person to move to in retirement? And the answer usually comes down to preference, but we've, you know, based on our geographic location, have noticed that a lot of clients have moved to Nevada, Texas, Arizona, Idaho, Utah, and a lot of the surrounding states. And today, I don't think we should get into what are the pros and cons of moving to that state, but I think we should more consider about financially how it would impact you if you move to one of these states. One of those important areas, though, I think you know, we can get into is cash flow. And if you do move to one of these states, you know, how will your cash flow be impacted monthly? And can you really save a lot of money by moving to a different state? Yeah, I think this is a great question. And when you are thinking about moving to another state, this is probably where you should start your analysis. Um, What most people do is they say, hey, I'm sick of paying California state taxes, but they don't know how much state tax they're actually paying. You know, so maybe it's $5,000, maybe it's $10,000. Maybe they're only paying, you know, a couple thousand dollars in state tax or none. But the one thing that most people fail to realize that when I talk to them is they're not thinking about property tax, right? So they're going to sell their home in California. Is it Prop 15? Is that what it's called here in California? I'm not sure on the prop. The, I'll look the, the property tax prop is on the ballot every year to get rid of because they want to raise the property taxes. But most people are, you know, grandfathered into that program who've had their home for a while. When they move to new states, they have higher t- property tax rates than we have here in California. Almost every state does. So you're going to be paying more for that property that you're buying. Uh, Texas is one of those states, especially. Prop 19. Prop 19. I think. Good correction. (laughs) (laughs) I guess, too, like one of my questions and and thoughts are when it comes to this is how many people really know what they are paying in state tax without it just being sort of a, we know we're paying a lot in California, but we don't know what that dollar amount actually is. That's a great question. And even when you get your taxes done, I mean, you guys could probably attest to this too, but you know, the primary focus when you're getting your taxes done on, is on that federal 1040 form. So like that state tax isn't like, you know, jumping out to you anyways. So answering that question, you're going to have to dig a little bit deeper to understand. And I feel like even when you meet with tax preparers, that isn't the first conversation you're having. It might not even be a conversation just besides if you're getting a refund or you have to owe. So just a a really good start there of making sure you understand exactly how much you are paying. The other thing to consider is, you know, how much the cost of goods in that state. You know, one example here in California, it's pretty dense, right? Like, you know, we could hop in our cars and be in a shopping center with a Target, um, a McDonald's, a grocery store, probably in under five minutes. We don't have to drive that far. It's a couple miles. But in some of these other states where people are moving to, they're more spread out and there might only be one shopping center. Or you might have to drive 30 miles to an, another town 
to get to a specific store. So now you're kind of wasting a little bit more time and sure gas prices might be 20 cents lower than here in California, but you're burning more gas now driving, you know, 20, 30 miles to the store. Or you have an electric vehicle now. Well, that's true. And then what will you lose in state-specific benefits if you do move? Uh, So this is a good one. I mean, you could be on some kind of state-specific social benefits plan. You know, the big one here in California, we have CalPERS and CalSTRS. You should probably look into how that's going to affect your benefit. Uh, Will you still be taxed on it? I believe the answer is yes, you still will be taxed on it. So it's probably really not worth it for you to move to another state um, if you're happy here in California. Right. You'll, You'll pay taxes in the state that you're in based on your, you know, your pension. You don't have to pay California taxes on a California pension. You'll pay it based on your state. But I think it's important, you know, you're, you can reduce the amount of taxes that you can pay. I mean, if you are living in another state. But there's also a lot of tools out there now, and especially with just technology and the internet, for you to even project that tax in that other state, right? Or even, you know, now we're opening the conversation of meeting with whoever's preparing your taxes to analyze that as well. Because again, you don't want to sacrifice any benefits and knowing what those tax differences are are just going to make that decision even better or more efficient for you. Yeah, I think before making a decision, because moving is a big decision, and where you're moving to is obviously going to be an important part of that. And then that could be you're either moving away from family or you're moving to family. But if it's a financial decision that you're making, you probably want to know what that dollar figure is. And you have to dig a little deeper than just assume you're going to be saving that much money. Yeah, absolutely. And also just on that kind of, you know, what you might be losing is understanding what your property rights are actually going to be in that other state. So in California, we have community property rights, right? And what are the rights in the other state that you're moving into? So this is just another question that you have to answer um, before you move. You want to make sure you're not sacrificing anything by moving, even with the property you already own. That makes sense. And I, you know, I think if we get into something also a little bit more complicated with it, it's really establishing domicile. And can you explain what that is and why it's important? Yeah, so I'll take a crack at the definition. So domicile is essentially where your permanent residence is. It's where you establish your home base. And the way they look at it is it's where you intend to remain and return to when, um, you know, you go out of town. You can only have one legal domicile. So you can't have like, you know, my domicile being California and Nevada. You have to pick one. And what I found when I was doing my research that was really interesting about this is the definition of domicile actually varies by state. So you need to check with the state you're moving to to see how you claim domicile in said state. The other thing, though, too, is domicile determines what your state tax laws apply to you, not only for income, but also for a state tax. So you need to think about that as well. You, you most likely have a trust set up in California if you live here. You need to consider the estate tax laws of the new state you're going to. Some states have small thresholds where, where when you pass away, your estate will have to pay taxes. Um, it's not like California. The next thing is the state in which you claim domicile will be your residency state. So that, that's where you live. That's where you need to have all your bills sent. That's where your medical doctors need to be. And if you do this wrong and you're going back and forth between states, you could actually end up triggering residency in both states. And in that case, you might have to pay not only state taxes in, say, California, 
but also in, you know, Utah or Idaho, whichever state you pick as your secondary state. So I know that was a lot. I know I've been talking for a while, but I mean, it's, this is a very complex topic. But this doesn't just pertain to states that have no state tax. This pertains regardless of any state you move to. You need to know these things. Yes, exactly. Like if you move to Texas, but you know, you're still kind of doing things in California a little bit half the time, it's very possible that you might end up triggering the residency rule in California and have to owe California state taxes, even though you live in Texas. So basically you have to make sure you prove where your home actually is. Yes. And there are tons of criteria. States can differ in that criteria. And you don't want to raise any red flags to trigger any questioning of where your actual home is. Correct. Correct. So I guess why that could be problematic is if you don't establish correctly, you could be paying that very high property tax in Texas and paying that very high income tax in California. Yeah, exactly. You could absolutely do that. Yeah, it's a good reason to dig deeper and and not to just assume that you're going to be making a decision that's going to save you a bunch of money. Absolutely. I think it's just a, a really good point and a really good you know, factor that you have to take into account and make sure you understand before you, you know, made that decision to move. When we're talking about owning multiple properties, what should you do if you're a part-time resident of another state? You have to understand the laws of how this can complicate that legal domicile that we just talked about, right? So, you know, if let's just say that you do have a house in California and a vacation house in Nevada and We just talk so much about domicile, how that can be confusing, how that also can be very specific. And there's criteria that you have to meet to making sure that you're proving that, you know, your domicile state is met. And um, so you really have to take the steps to identify where your domicile is, track the time you've spent in each state as well, um, and making sure you're just keeping really good records so that if an audit does come about or there is question about where your domicile state is, you can prove where your, that home actually is. Yeah, when you get that second home, if you, if you plan on keeping maybe a place in California and then a, you know having a, a nice home in the new state, you're just adding complexity to an already semi-complex situation. So it's like a rich man's benefit, right? It's a, it's a good problem to have, but also you're just adding complexity to your situation by owning multiple properties in multiple states. I've heard so many people say, and, and this isn't necessarily come from clients, it's just people just chatter about how they would manage it if they had, let's say, a property and a no state tax on how they would have someone either go flip on the utilities in the house to make it look like they're there, or they'll have a burner phone in the house to make it look like they're there. IRS doesn't mess around with this, and it doesn't seem like something that would be very smart to be messing around with. Yeah, I mean, that's all fun and games and jokes, but um, yeah, IRS doesn't mess around. I doubt you're going to get away with it. And is that risk even worth the reward, right? I mean, we, that goes back to even understanding like the cash flow decision and what you're actually paying in taxes and analyzing that because doing all of that and taking those steps, even your time, is it worth your time to do that? and potentially getting caught, and then facing those consequences. In most cases, I would probably assume no. Yeah, I I think it's maybe fun for people to come up with in theory until you actually start really starting to think about it and the consequences that can come from it. It's probably not something I would recommend. No, not really messing around with the IRS with that. 
Uh, what is uh, ancillary probate? So ancillary probate is an additional probate process that happens when you die and own property in another state. So let's give an example. Let's say uh, we'll go back to the Texas. You own a property in Texas and a property in California. Texas is your legal domicile. Well, when, when you pass away, if it's not set up properly in your trust, your California home is going to go into ancillary probate. So again, you're going to have to update your trust when you move to another state to make sure you it's set up to avoid ancillary probate. I think this is something a lot of people forget as well, and they don't realize that it gets super complicated with your estate and your estate plan if you have properties in multiple different states and making sure that those properties are actually up to date inside of your trust. That was exactly my thought too. This is just another thing that could potentially complicate what seems like an easy move to another state or owning property in two different states, um, but another step that you had to make sure that you've taken care of. Yeah, it's funny because if you set up properly, right? That's kind of where we're going. Is this is complex? Um, you're going to have to pay some professionals to set this up properly. Make sure your trust is in line. Make sure your tax plan is correct. You're probably going to pay more in professional fees than you pay in um, California state tax fees on an annual basis, just based on the fact that most people who are listening to this are retired and they're probably not paying that much in California state taxes anyways. Mm-hmm. Good point. Yeah. And then if you know people with high net worth, these are costly things to keep up to date. I mean, your state plan's probably getting reviewed and updated every year. Your taxes are being done by CPA. You're, you're having multiple returns done. Uh, this isn't something that's very easy to do. No, and, and even if uh, property has to change titles, there's another fees for that. So there, it is a very complex process and could be a very costly process. What should you update as far as your records go? So you should most likely notify all, all the important government agencies. So I'm just going to read off a list here. We got the USPS, IRS, that, that's an important one. You know, that's kind of the theme of the show. Make sure the tax man knows where you are all your financial institutions. So, you know, that's the people who have your 401k, your IRAs, your brokerage statements, your bank account, your credit cards, your auto loan, all of that should be updated with your new address. Don't forget to let social security know where you are, right? Because they're sending your check and then the Medicare, VA and federal student loans, if you have any of those or qualify. But yeah, pretty much every institution that is important, I would, you know, let them know where you are and where you're living and change those addresses on those bills. Amazon? Yeah. I mean, Amazon will probably find you. <laughs> <laughs> they'll still show up at your door? Yeah, they'll, they'll figure out a way to find you. They, they'll, they got those trackers in the Alexas. <laughs> I, I, I imagine that the IRS is like, where are all these packages going? That's how we're going to find them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what should you do with your estate plan? Well, if you are moving and you do have an existing estate planner, here's a, you know, a good reminder. If you don't have one at all, you probably need to get one. But if you do have one and you're moving to a new state, it's probably best to get that um, trust reviewed. You want it to be updated to the actual law that is in, you know, abided by in the state that you're actually moving to. So now is just a good time if you're thinking about that to meet with that estate planning attorney, reviewing your living trust and all of your estate documents, because those laws in the state that you could move to could be different than the state you actually live in. So again, you need to be taking the step, hiring the professional to making sure that that is updated and it's abiding by all of the law in the new state that you're potentially moving to. Yeah. So I guess I have one takeaway from the show. Um, and I'm sure Brent and Josh, you guys would agree with me because we all have many clients who have left this state and moved to other states. And I know we're, we're making this sound probably a little bit more complex than it is. 
It is a complex process. We just want everyone to do it right. But the one thing is, if you're not happy in California, uh, most people we find when they move out of the state are, are fairly happy, right? Like, you know, they, they seem to be very happy in their retirement in their new state. Um, so from that angle, it's probably worth it. Yeah, I would agree with that. Especially if your family moved there, right? Yeah, your family moved there or, you know, for some reason you don't need to even live in California anymore because maybe your family's far away or, um, you know, it's not very big or you don't have a job in California anymore. Probably no reason to be here. That is a good, um, just looking back observation is that, you know, even what I'm seeing a lot of parents are moving out of state, even children are following or even vice versa. So the whole family is kind of transplanting to that new state and they're finding happiness, you know they're staying with their family and stuff like that so it is seen that very commonly lately yeah there are complexities to it there's time that has to go into it but it's not impossible for a lot of people it can be worth the time i think you gotta know how much it's worth for everybody that i work with that has done this they do it the right way they're not um, trying to hide their way through different locations they're actually living there they stay there and they do their time in that state and then they're able to come back and they they manage the seasons right Wintertime, they're in one state, or summertime, they're, they're in the other. But one of the ways I think that we have helped a lot of clients and steps we take to help them find out the answer to this, whether or not it's worth it or not, is as we built out their financial plan, in the financial plan, we can do a comparison of what the benefits would be and the potential tax savings would be if they do move to another state. And in that time, they can really determine from a financial benefit, is this worth exploring more? If the answer to that is yes, and the next steps we take is let's bring the CPA into the meeting, let's bring the attorney into the meeting, let's bring your whole team in, and let's talk about this in a little bit more depth and what it would require, what the costs are going to be, and then a, a real decision can be made once you gather all the facts. Yeah, no, that's um, you know, just a really good summary of how proper planning can, can really just make this process even more efficient and, and legal. <laughs> Yeah, but if you're paying five to seven thousand or ten thousand dollars in state tax, I don't know. It seems like it. Uh, there's a lot more costs that are going to come up from moving to another state. Yeah, it's probably going to be a more of a wash. So at the end of the day, like I said, it comes down to happiness. Where do you want to be? Where do you want to live? Absolutely, happiness is the key. All right, let's kick up one of the things that makes me happy, and that's RPA recommends. Uh, who wants to get us started today? I'll get started, but I'm going to point this at Josh. Josh, have you done the the golf gloves, the Asher ones yet? The Asher golf gloves? Yeah. Yes, I have. Oh, yes. you have? Oh, man. Well, I, I, I'm pretty sure I'm the one who told you about them, but... Um, you, you did, so I didn't know if you <laughs> talked about them on the... I didn't know if you talked about them on the show, though, yeah. Oh, oh, did I talk about them? No, I don't think so. No. Well, I know a lot of our listeners play golf, and, and they talk with Josh and I about our golf game, and Josh recommended I try these gloves that are online called Asher, A-S-H-E-R, and they're great gloves. I don't think I'll ever buy another brand's golf gloves again. Yeah, they're nice. I think they're like based out of Colorado and they just make really cool kind of craft golf gear. Um, so if you're looking for something a little different, I highly recommend them too. I use their golf gloves and, uh, you know, Matt, I'll see you with your new Asher glove, uh, hopefully on Sunday. Yeah, you'll definitely will. <laughs> I'm going to go a little different. So, um, air purifiers have gained like tons of popularity like over the last couple of years. Why would that be? <laughs> yeah, 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 right. So they're coming out with like even new features um, and, you know, a lot of good benefits. Clean air helps with even allergies, potentially even helps, you know, clean viruses and bacteria out of the air. So not a bad thing for air purifiers. RPA wanted to purchase some new ones. So Matt and I did some research and we bought some blue air air purifiers. Pretty cool. Would you guys recommend them? Yeah, we have it going right now in the conference room so I can 
clear out the COVID from either one of you. <laughs> it's green right now, but true story. Um, one of us sneezed in the office. I won't mention name the other day. And I noticed I walked into the common space and the, the blue wave was yellow, which means there's toxins in the air and it's yeah. cleaning it. And that happened probably about five minutes after that person sneezed. Was it me? No, you weren't in the office at that time. <laughs> I just want to know. Now, now we're down to two. <laughs> no, what's really cool about them, though, like the tech on them is really nice. Like they sh- they're actually showing you like through light, a light system, you know, how clean the air is. And they even have like an app that'll tell you how long it's going to take for these machines to clean like this, the airspace. Um, so it'll be like 29 minutes till like the air is completely clean in, in that room. So just pretty cool. Um, and pretty cool devices. And then another person, I won't again mention names, who sprays Lysol, and then the, the thing just almost breaks. It just goes red when that happens. <laughs> it beeps. <laughs> what, one of my joys is walking around the office spraying Lysol. This was even pre-COVID, and then now we have these machines, and so now every time I walk around the office spraying Lysol, I see these machines start to go nuts. And so I, now I get even more entertainment from spraying Lysol around the office. Yeah, so if you come in, check them out. They're pretty cool. Um, but yeah, that's... That's pretty funny when Brent goes and starts spraying that bottle. I, I wear a mask while I uh, spray the Lysol because I don't want to breathe that stuff in. But for everybody else in the office, it's fine for you guys to be breathing it. Uh, all right. So I'll get into the RPA recommends for myself. Uh, I'm going to do a place that I think I probably mentioned a long time ago when we first kicked off the show. Uh, it's one of my favorite lunch spots or dinner spots, one of my favorite restaurants. If you're in Southern California, the Mexican place that I favorite, uh, any chance I get is Javier's. I went there this last weekend in Newport. It was outstanding. They built a whole area outside. It's absolutely beautiful out there. Weather is good in Southern California right now. If you're more towards the ocean, it's even cooler. I recommend if you want to take your spouse on a nice date or you're going to take your family out, check it out. Go have some nice Mexican food. It's outstanding. It's not cheap, but it's a nice place to go. I love how Brent, like when he talks about Javier's, it like puts a little twinkle in his eye. Like that's his spot. Yeah, I know we've been going long on the show, but I, I kind of want to get out this weekend. Uh, maybe, maybe do you want to go down to Javier's? <laughs> hey, I'm You're always selling o- me I'm, on going I'm down o- to Newport. I'm always open. If there's like one company, I know we've mentioned a few that potentially sponsor this podcast. I think Javier's is up on that list. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> At least we just get a free meal or something. <laughs> All right. So as advisors, we love helping people. That's why we do it. If you have more questions about moving out of state, reach out to us. We'll sit down and talk to you about it. If you'd like to schedule an appointment with any of us, you can go to rpawealth.com and schedule a complimentary consultation. If you'd like to download our ebook, feel free to do that. For our show notes, you can go to retirementplanplaybook.com. But as always, uh, we love having you listening. So thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you. RPA Wealth Management is a state-registered investment advisor located in Rancho Cucamonga, California. Registration does not imply a certain level of skill or training. RPA Wealth Management may only transact business in those states and jurisdictions in which it is registered or qualifies for an exemption or exclusion from registration requirements. A copy of RPA Wealth Management's current disclosure statement, Form ADV Part 1, containing RPA Wealth Management's business operations, services, and fees is available by accessing the SEC's Investment Advisor Public Disclosure website. RPA Wealth Management will provide Form ADV Part 2A from Brochure and 2B Brochure Supplement to interested parties upon request. Information provided on this podcast should not be construed as a solicitation or offer or recommendation to acquire or dispose of any investment or engage in any other transaction. RPA Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personal investment advice or financial planning advice through its podcast. RPA Wealth Management podcasts are intended for information and educational purposes only.